Welcome to this JFI Talk on our L'Chaim podcast. These are archived and new events and workshops from the Yedda Nashman Jewish Family Institute in Toronto. We aim to help Jewish families go from good to great by offering amazing workshops, speakers, classes, and events that bring wisdom and knowledge from Judaism, psychology, science, and culture that speaks to our issues as Jewish families and leaders today. For more information, check us out at myjfi.com. And now, let's get growing. Um, and so, um, it's uh, this is an unprecedented uh, event, and um, I can appreciate the anxiety that everyone is feeling. Right. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you're kind of, um, even though you're not necessarily, say, like frontline medical staff, you're frontline emotional support staff. And I think that is also probably a huge part of what people are experiencing in terms of um, I'm, I'm locked in my house with my kids and my job and their school and all of these things. And, and not necessarily having those regular touch points that you would have during the week where you can just check in with people or, you know, say, Hey, how you doing there? So, you know, in many ways, I think anyone who's in any type of um, mental health um, therapy role is, I would say a frontline worker during this experience also, because Mm -hmm. this is really going to be aside from the physical um, fears and stresses and dangers, the, the dangers to people's mental wellness, to their emotional wellness, I think is really on the line as well. Um, I so- think I think I think it's important to say something because I was surprised by this, Ellie. So uh, I would have anticipated uh, only f- a few days ago that um, this event was going to bring out uh, chronic stress and anxiety that was kind of hovering under the surface. But when you go about your day to day, you don't have to deal with that. I thought this was going to exacerbate something, and it still could. Right. I got to tell you, I would say that right now uh, there are a few couples, more uh, three to four people I've spoken to where they're kicking into a second gear. There's something with the crisis that's bringing out the best in them. It's mm-hmm. not true that all of my clients are decompensating. Some are, so, some right. are, but, but quite a few aren't. Um, I had a couple of uh, parents tell me that um, their teenagers are just doing what they do anyway. So uh, in isolation, they're thrilled and it's working for them. So it's not all, it's not all doom and gloom, at least with the clients that I'm seeing. I'm seeing both. I think we have to see how this plays itself out because this is a social experiment we've never had in the hit, probably since World War II, I would imagine, like the Blitz in, in Great Britain. Um, we've never had a, an experience like this. So we're sort of charting the unknown. Um, right. And so I, I, as we continue with this conversation, we can talk about how this might you know, impact more vulnerable people and, um, and, and that sort of thing. But I just wanted to point out here that some of the early reports I'm hearing uh, is that people are discovering something they didn't know existed in their families and in their marriages, and they're reporting it back to me. And it's, um, it's gonna be interesting to observe if that continues. Yeah, I think closed quarters will, you know, press any kind of both positive and negatives to come out, right? Whatever's right. in there, you can kind of squeeze. Um, so maybe what we'll do is it's now, it's 11.30, so people are starting to join online. There's people joining us on Facebook Live. So maybe I'll just sort of introduce, you know, what we're going to talk about. And um, Avram, I'd love for you to just sort of give a, um, an overview of who you are and what you do for people who haven't met you. Um, so I wanted to say welcome to everybody. I'm Ellie Bass. I run something called the Jewish Family Institute. And, you know, this is really what we're trying to do to try to maintain a sense of connection, 
a support system, a sense of community, and to really start to try to talk about some of the things that we're all dealing with while we're uh, at home during COVID-19. Um, with a lot of conflicting information and lots of people in one space at the same time. Um, so I reached out to Avram and asked if he um, would be willing to talk to us a little bit and discuss what it's like um, parenting at home and working from home at the same time. Um, and from his experience as a, as a Bowen family therapist, as a social worker working with families and couples, what are some of the things that he's seeing and what are some of the things that we can take away from his expertise and practice that can allow us to navigate this time with ourselves, with our spouses, with our kids, um, with whomever is in our house, even if we're alone um, at this time, because that's also an experience for people. Um, so um, Avram, maybe I can ask you, you've written a few books, um, you have a busy practice here in Toronto, maybe you can just say a little bit about what you do and how you got involved, and then we can sort of dig into the topic of, of parenting right now through these times. Sure. Um, I've been a, a practicing therapist uh, in agencies and in private practice for, um, it's almost going on 30 years now, which is pretty insane. Uh, Montreal, Vancouver, and now Toronto. Um, I have a private practice in Toronto, and I've written uh, uh, two books. Uh, one is about my own journey uh, uh, to marriage. I got married late. I had children late. And so that book was written for people who... Uh, might find solace in my suffering um, and, uh, and some of the things I learned along the way. My second book was co-authored with my wife, uh, a workbook. Uh, the perfect, we, we tried to envision what would be the, you know, the perfect premarital program that we didn't get. And we put together that book. And uh, my third book was written with my late supervisor who died in uh, 2010. Uh, and uh, that book is written for uh, therapists who want to learn how to work with more than one person, a couple or a family, and is written in the style of letters to a young poet. That's going to be coming out. I don't know when, because the truth is, <laughs> I hit, my headspace, yeah, my headspace is not, uh, not there right now. Um, and the most important thing is I'm a father with three kids. I have one child who has a metabolic issue. And so this is a um, it's, uh, you know, it's a higher anxiety time for my wife and I. Um, and, uh, so we have to make sure that uh, we protect him. Uh, and my wife's a psychiatrist at a hospital. She still go, is going to work and she's, uh, she's, uh, on the front lines in her own way. So we're very sort of in touch with, with what's going on, um, out there personally and, uh, and professionally. I just want to mention uh, the names of your first two books. One, the first one is uh, that he mentioned about his own journey is called Learning to Commit. Um, it's a phenomenal book for anyone that you know who's either navigating relationship or wants to be navigating a relationship. Um, I definitely recommend it. It's just so full of, of great stories, but also a really deep idea of how to approach relationships in general. So I just kind Thank of you. wanted to throw that out there. And, and if you actually go to the JFI website, all of uh, Avram's books are on there, um, and you can order them directly from Amazon on our website. So just so you so you know that. So, um, okay. So maybe let's jump in a little bit. What are you seeing right now in your practice, um, and what are some of the things that are surprising you in terms of the level of anxiety in families, and what are some of the things that are par for the course? Sure. Um... I mean, first of all, I, I think that I've changed tactics and how I've been working with my clients now. I, I start the call by saying, you know, things are changing daily. So um, 
uh, how is this impacting you? I've also learned not to assume that what I'm anxious about, my clients are anxious about. Mm. Uh, and so I'm learning a lot by listening to them as well. I, I, primarily the, the main source of anxiety is around work. Um, and, and that I'm hearing a lot of people getting freaked out about going into grocery stores and seeing empty shelves. That really brings out a primordial fear. You know, I, I don't know how many people here read The Road or saw the movie The Road. It's, it's very, <laughs> don't watch it now. This is not the time to watch The Road, but it's a very powerful film. And I, I remember watching it and thinking like, could that ever happen? Could... Now that's not happening, that's not what's happening. But when you go into the grocery store to buy eggs and there's no eggs, it's gonna bring out some part of your reptilian brain that, that this is just not the way it's supposed to be. We, we hear our grandparents maybe speak right. about this kind of stuff, but not for us. I think that's and the so... toilet paper rush also, right? It's like toilet paper, we need 80 bags of toilet paper. Sure, but, but toilet paper we can joke about, but. It... If you're going to buy eggs for your kids and there's no eggs, that sort of really touches on that mama bear, papa bear sort of a thing of protection. And it's like, oh, this is, this is, you know, real. And, but the problem is that then you cluster onto that for the people I'm speaking. So you cluster onto that being healthy and the unknowns of COVID-19. And so it's a cluster of all this existential, really serious stuff. It's not, you know, you know, we're, we're as a society, we, we struggle with um, what we call first world problems most of our lives. Most of us have only really struggled with first world problems, except if you have a chronic illness or something. Most people, you know, it's, you know, should I go to the coffee shop? Right. Or, or do I, you know, go to the gym and, and, and we struggle with that. I mean, this is a cluster of existential um, uh, problems and, and issues of in Maslow's hierarchy of needs. The bottom one, uh, safety and, and protection and food. Uh, and so um, that's what people want to talk about. And that's what people are struggling with. Uh, and, and so that's, um, that's what I'm hearing. And in terms of um, supporting, you know, this is a time where families now are in close quarters. So when you're in a state of existential, um, quote unquote, threat, how, how is that manifesting in families? So it's different. Okay, so, so, so it's different. And I, I don't want to assume, and I'm not going to assume because what I'm hearing, it's different for, for every family. As I've said, some, uh, I've seen a, a, um, a few couples where they're working together in a way that they didn't even know they could. Mm. That's what they're reporting to me, that there is something about the crisis that's bringing out the best in them. And then I, I've been working with others where that is not the case, that they're decompensating right. under the pressure of the crisis. So everybody's going to respond to this differently. Well, what I would say is this, and this is what I've been sharing with all of my, um, all of my clients uh, and, and for myself, really. Um, I, I, think, I think at this uh, um, period of time, it is, it's very, very important to uh, ask the question of what's essential. So you, you take your role as a parent and you say, what is essential uh, for me? Uh, I'll use myself as an example. What's essential uh, uh, as my role of, of father? Right. Okay? And really, what it comes down to, uh, this is going to go away. We are going to get through this. We know that. That's what all the experts say. We will get through this at some point, but it's not going to be next week. So what is essential right now for me as a father? It's to keep my kids safe. Everything else is, is not important. And when I mean everything, I mean everything, homework, school. I mean, I'm getting four emails a day per kid, per teacher. Yeah. From the <laughs> day school. right now. You know, I'm like, as I'm just, I'm, I mean, 
<laughs> my wife's not going to be thrilled about this, but I, I, I don't read them. I don't, that, that's not essential for me right now. It's not right. essential for me. And I, I actually find it quite stress inducing to try to keep track of all the zoom classes and this is not working in homework. They'll catch up. Right. My goal right now is to keep my kids safe, to keep my eldest safe. Um, and, um, and the other way I answer what, uh, what is my role, um, what's essential in my role as a father is to keep communicating with, uh, my wife. Now this is true whether you're divorced or you're married. If you have kids, it's important to find a way to, as the leadership team, you don't have, you know, the CFO and the CEO of a company don't have to love each other. That's not the point. The right. point is that you're the leaders of a system. And your kids will rise or fall to the level of anxiety that both of the leaders bring to this. Uh, and I think a lot of people, on the emails that I'm getting, it, it, the focus is on the children's anxiety. The children's anxiety is a mirror of whatever the leaders are doing. And by the way, that's true for our countries. It's the same thing. Watch the stock market. When there's confidence in the leadership, it goes up. Right. When there's not confidence, it goes down. So uh, I, I think it's very important um, as um, husband, uh, you know, as my role as a husband, for example, to answer the question, what is essential? It's not about sex, and it's not about great conversations about theology, and it's not about, you know, are we making the best use of this togetherness time right now? It's what's essential is food, safety. That's about it. Everything else is a bonus, as far as I'm concerned. And right. so I, I mean, I, knowing you, I would wonder, though, if you would also add that, you know, food, safety, those types of things, but also then having an environment where everybody understands what's essential so that they're not um, stressing and creating a stressful environment while you're managing those things. Would you, well, would you put that up there? Right. And so, I mean, the way I have always understood this um, as someone who works from a, um, a family systems theory framework is that if, if Elise and I, and I will say I, because I can't assume my partner is going to do the same thing I'm doing, but if I can figure out what's essential for me, my kids will pick up on it through osmosis. I don't have to tell them what's essential. And that's what's sort of beautiful about this is that, so I'll just give you a practical example, Ellie, because I think practical examples sort of work like this. So what's essential is that there's enough space for everybody in this house. And everybody's going to have to make that decision for themselves. If you're living in an apartment, you're going to have to figure that out for themselves. So what we did is my office is my basement. Well, I'm not seeing clients anymore in my office. So, uh, you know, I noticed my kids, they had two places to go. Either we're outside going for a bike ride, but when we're inside, they were either in their room and they're okay for about an hour. But then it becomes the World Wrestling Federation, you know, <laughs> after an hour, right? They're, they're going to kill each other because they, sh they share a room, right? And so, um, and then, then there's the living room, but then we have our, our three-year-old there, right? And so it becomes a problem. So, what I, I, you know, I was speaking to them and I said, you know, guys, we've got the basement downstairs, okay? What do you want to do with it? And what we came up together was we're going to take all of our Lego, and that was like five trips of huge. They brought all their Lego down here, and then every day they're coming down, they're building a village. And I said, you can use my entire office, and you, can you can't see it because it's, it's behind me, but <laughs> the whole floor is covered in Lego. Amazing. And, um, and, and so, um, uh, so th th to answer the, the question of essential, what is essential in terms of our house and space? It's important for the kids to get out of each other's skin. So that way I can send one kid downstairs, one kid could be upstairs and then we could be watching the three-year-old. Right. What they do with that space, I'm not so concerned about. Right. Right. So it's really about keeping things simple. What's essential in terms of your space, health, 
et cetera, et cetera. Um, and just to touch on health, because this comes up, you know, how do you regulate your anxiety during a time of crisis like this, right? Well, what's essential, okay? I don't know what it is for you. I know what it is for me. I pared it down to what, I, what I've been able to notice with my sleep. And I pared it down to approximately, for me, this is for me, about a 35, 40 minute bike ride daily and about a 25, 30 minute walk at night. That's the sweet spot for me. I don't know what it is for you, but I think we're all going to have to figure that out as we're more confined. How do we burn off some of this excess stress? And a lot of people are mistaking surfing Twitter for news as a way to regulate their anxiety. And if you right. pay attention to what's happening internally, you usually walk away from that experience a lot more anxious and it just spreads right through the house. So, Right. Like if I just turn on Netflix or Twitter or whatever it is and chill out for a few minutes, that that will actually give me energy. But generally what we find is it, it just sort of puts us into a, it, it numbs things out a little bit, but doesn't actually put money in the bank in terms of being able to, to regulate ourselves. Is that what well, you're saying? I mean, I can tell you for, for myself, um, I, I just don't have the self-discipline once I'm on Twitter to not, not go, they're calling it fear porn. Right. You know, you look for like you see like a headline of a worst case apocalyptic. There's something about our brain that wants to go there, because I think from an evolutionary perspective, we think if we read about it, we can protect for it. Yeah. You know, like for that. Control it. Right. 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 So, you know, I'll find myself, you know, I'll be, you know, fussing around on Twitter and I'll see this thing about uh, looting. So I'll go read it. I'll say, get your M4, M16s and ammunition. <laughs> thinking, oh, my. We don't have an M16. We don't even have a gun. You know, and so. <laughs> It, it, it's 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 an endless pit of fear and uh, and then I noticed something else. I've been um, trying to adopt something. I've been encouraged my clients to do this is to really become very rigid with your internet use, um, specifically before bedtime. So I, I have a, a thing on my computer called Freedom Dot Two. It, it shuts off all of my um, browsing potential, and I can't. I, I've um, there's an option where you can. You you can't quit the program. You'd have to throw it at your computer or something. <laughs> I, I, I've enabled this. And so all of my social media, uh, Twitter, Facebook, uh, all the news stops at, at 9 p.m. Mm -hmm. And so I can't access. Now, I could, Ellie. I could. Right. I can go into my phone. I could. But it's, it's a barrier. And it's enough of a barrier that I, there's no question that um, my nights are calmer when I'm not surfing the latest figures on what's happening in Italy, for example. And by the way, how does that help me with my essential questions in, in Toronto? How does it help me to know? that Italy right. is in a complete crisis. It doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't I, help I me with my everyone, kids. <laughs> everyone turns to the idea that more information is better. Exactly. Because right. it will allow us to understand, you know, different pieces. But I think you're right. When you have to always choose, in this moment, am I going to go for more information, but perhaps higher anxiety? Or am I going to ask the question that you said, what's essential? and lower my anxiety and just deal with what's right in front of me. And I think that's a hard balance to have when the internet is so readily available. It's, it's a very hard balance. And that, that's why uh, I offer this up. I offer these up as suggestions. Right. Um, I, for me, uh, I'm approaching this um, in a very trial and error sort of a way. I'm open to the idea that I can change my own rules tomorrow uh, as new information becomes available to me. But you know what, Ellie, for all of us, it's not that complex to just watch what's happening in your body and watch what's happening with your kids. Um, if you, you notice that your, your children are sort of more out of control in a certain day, not a bad question to ask is, is there something that's happening at the leadership level 
where there's heightened anxiety. Yeah, so I wanted you to talk a little bit about more uh, more about that idea because I've heard you speak about this. I think it's a very unique way of thinking of it. So what do you mm. mean when you say you're the leader of your family? What does that look like for parents as opposed to like we're the parents, those are the kids, you're just sort of figuring out as, they, as we go, what does it look like to be in the ideal, the leader of your family? What does that mean? Sure. Yeah. So this is a, my understanding, my definition. Uh, first of all, de facto by age and by experience and that you, you are parents. Um, you have a role. It's a role. It's not the same role. Children have, a, <clears throat> excuse me, children have a different role. So you have a role and your role is to protect, guide, listen, inspire, depending on the circumstances. But right now, our role as leaders is to provide a certain uh, amount of stability and safety for our kids. Um, and the problem a lot of parents are having right now is that they're getting hit with waves of new information and anxiety. They're having trouble navigating all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So first of all, you have to, you have to find your own uh, a sense of groundedness. And it's going to be different for everybody. I personally find it very helpful to check in with my spouse. Some people might not have that option. Some people might not like their spouse. And so they don't want to talk to their spouse. <laughs> but then do you have a parent or a friend, another elder, someone else who you can speak to, who you find calms you down? And here's the goal. The goal is to balance your feelings, uh, sort your thinking with your feelings. We're all very prone right now to being in touch with anxious feelings. Show me someone right now that goes, you know what I can use right now? I'm very good at being strategic. I'm having trouble getting anxious about the coronavirus. I don't know people like that, okay? I know people that are really worked up and they're not thinking clearly, okay? So people who are buying a lot of toilet paper, God bless them, but they're not thinking clearly because this isn't a diarrhea problem, okay? And we know that, this is a fact, okay? So we, we, we are operating on strong feeling states. So as I think our, it is very important for parents to find ways to cultivate and inspire thinking. So what do I mean? Thinking about how are we going to structure our day when our kids are home all day? And how are we going to structure our week if they're home for a week or two or four or eight? And, and, and how do we do that when we've never had to do that before? Because in the summertime, we send our kids to camp most of the time. Right. Right. And so... Um, this requires flexibility and requires creativity and innovation. I don't think there's one size fits all for any of this kind of stuff. Um, and so I'll just give you a little example, <clears throat> excuse me, from our own thing. It wasn't my idea, actually. I'm going to give credit to my wife. This is a pretty innovative thing that she did. And we're, we're starting to adopt this more and more. So we noticed the kids were wrangly at nighttime and we want to get that. And by the way, of course, they're going to be wrangly because we're all wrangly at nighttime. We've been cooped up and, and, and they're getting anxious. So Aliza thought, okay, we're going to do a night walk. So she took, she took the kids. Sorry, go ahead. Not a problem. So she, she took the kids on a night walk and I didn't know they were there. I was on a bike ride. So I came around and I saw my kids, my whole family's outside. <laughs> it's nine o'clock at night, uh, my three-year-old too. And so they're walking on the sidewalk and they're looking at the stars and they're on the phone with my father-in-law who's into astronomy and so they have him on speakerphone and he's pointing out the stars by a speakerphone wow. and so it was an astronomy lesson it was a night walk and now we've built that into the ritual um, of our days where we incorporate a night walk with some astronomy right. not for education it's not about education right it's a nice it's a nice synergy and it helps us think 
We're not thinking about coronavirus and, 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 and the implications. It's fresh air, it's exercise. And so it's, um, it's, it's, it's a cluster of good stuff to do before bedtime. Aliza came up with that on her own. She just, she didn't read that in an email. She just thought like, we gotta get these kids out of the house. The stars were there. She called her father. And the next thing you know, we've got that, we built this. It's important for, I think, everyone to sort of cultivate some sort of mix of creativity, innovation on the fly, um, and, and, and always coming back to the question of what's essential. So it's nighttime. The kids are wrangling. How do you calm them? <clears throat> excuse me. How do you calm them down? More right. videos aren't going to do it. More TV before bedtime probably isn't going to do it. Okay. Right. And I think that takes also that sense of self-awareness for your, each family is different. Like I notice with my kids, for instance, like I've been trying to do our outdoor kind of time around 4 35 o'clock, but I right. notice once we get to 4 35 o'clock, like they don't want to do that. They want to just chill. They want to sit down. They want to like, they either need it much earlier or they need it later. And I'm just, right. you know, it, and knowing that right now it's not working, if I keep trying to make it work, then that isn't going to necessarily solve the problem. I have to look at the, the whole and say, okay, it doesn't work at this time. When should it work? When could right. it work better? And right. that's, a, a, that's a place where if I just get anxious with it and start to tell everybody while well, you're going, whether you like it or not, that doesn't necessarily fix or solve any problems. That's more my anxiety. I think that's what you're saying. That's actually an excellent point, by the way. Um, I think that uh, a lot of this is about ages and stages too. You know, Yakira is what? She's 12 now, 13? Uh, she's, yeah, 13. She'll be 14 she's, in July. She's 13. So if you think about what's essential for a 13-year-old, part of that is her coming up with her own decisions and how to live her life to a certain degree. Not every, not in every uh, element, but a lot more than my kids, right? So I, I think that, you know, um, once you hit adolescent years, um, they really get to decide. Now, now parents still have a role to play in terms of gatekeepers, in terms of coming into the house. So you, you know, if you need to go out and whatever you're going to do when you come in hand washing, I don't know, whatever rules that you have, right. but this is, this is an opportunity for, um, uh, to, to support our kids to, to, to cultivate and practice making decisions, mature decisions based on their age. Okay. And so, they have to decide, you know, what helps going to bed and what time and, and this sort of a thing. And if, if the essential question is safety, and really I think it is, the question of safety is, I think every parent has to give themselves, cut themselves a lot of slack going forward. And I mean a lot of slack. We, we put a tremendous amount of pressure on ourselves more than any other generation. We right. put a tremendous amount of pressure on ourselves as parents in terms of micromanaging our kids. Um, and, and, you know, I think, Ellie, a lot of parents will do okay for three days, four days. We're at a week now, and I'm already hearing from parents. They're kind of the combination of trying to work from home and parenting, and it's just going to be too much in a couple of weeks. Um, and you're going to burn out, and people are going to burn out. And uh, when you've got nothing left in the tank, you can't answer the question of what's essential if, you're, right. if, you're, you know, if there's chronic fighting all the time. So you've got to really lower those, those expectations of, of what your role is. And you have to come up with that answer for yourself. As a leader, what's essential? For me, I answer it by uh, safety is number one. And then after that, if they're safe, I can get creative. But so long as they're safe, I, I, I can live another day till tomorrow to figure out what tomorrow is. Um, so, Right. So you're saying like one of the things then for you that lowers... The anxiety level is just asking that question. What is essential? And is that essential piece being, is that standard being met? And if so, 
everything else isn't quite as, doesn't have the import that I'm trying to give it just because I want things to be a certain way. Yeah, I can go to bed at night and think I did my job. My kids, thank God, are alive right now. They're in bed. If they don't sleep so well, that's not essential. They'll get right. more sleep tomorrow because guess what? They ain't going anywhere for the next few right. weeks. So there's, right. there's lots of time to catch up on this. You know, <laughs> if my kids didn't do their homework, to, uh, you know, they didn't do their Hebrew homework, uh, whatever, uh, this morning, I can live with that right now. Um, I'll worry about that in, in a few months. Uh, and then, um, you know, in time, Months from now, when we look back, we can we have the luxury of, of, of pontificating about, you know, how to do things differently. But right now, uh, as leaders in, in our families, our role is to keep the anxiety down. That means our anxiety, not the kids' anxiety, our anxiety down as leaders and model to the best that we can. I say this, Ellie, full well knowing that I don't do this all the time. So please, this is, a, this is, this is an ideal. To keep the anxiety down, to think to plan, ideally, if there's a spouse or a partner, to plan together some sort of semblance of, you know, who gets the groceries, but the, the really simple stuff. But now that simple stuff is more important than ever. Right. So we get the groceries when, so our shelves are stocked when, because you don't want the existential anxiety to get too high in the house, because that really, you're not going to yoga that away. You're not going to exercise that away. Right. If you're worried about your pantry is empty, that's a serious thing. You've got to talk about that with a partner or, or your sibling or something. Okay. Right. You keep the anxiety low. You try to promote the thinking. Okay. Your kids will be fine. They'll be fine because you know what? You give most kids of any age, a couple of twigs. Okay. The internet and crayons, and they're going to be fine for a long time. <laughs> it's like the cardboard box, right? Well, well that's <laughs> it. They're always so much more interested in the cardboard box. That's right. That's right. And look, I mean, we're living at a glorious time for teenagers because what would they be doing anyways? They'd be right. online doing whatever. So right. Making TikTok dances. Life. Yeah. What? Sorry. Making TikTok dances. <laughs> sure. Whatever the case may be. Um, so I want to, uh, I want to just, um, you mentioned something I want you to clarify a little bit. And then I want to just see, I see there's quite a few people on here and I want to open it up if people have questions or if they want to ask anything. Um, but I wanted to just clarify, you know, you mentioned about, you know, it's not really the anxiety of the kids. It's really much more centered around the parents. Um, so if there are kids who, you know, parents are saying, my kids are anxious, my kids are worried, my kids are this, my kids are that, you know, how do you re then respond to that with parents? Sure. Yeah. I mean, um, it's, it's no different than any other time. There's nothing unique about this specific time about uh, uh, childhood anxiety versus other times. It's just, it's at a higher level. That, that's all this. So the, the antidote is the same and, and it goes something like this. This is true, by the way, for adults and kids. This is not just about kids. The general idea is this, you know, Ellie, I'll, I'll give you an example because I think this is a good example. There's a reason why Dr. Fauci is always brought on with Donald Trump when he speaks. And there's a reason for that. The country right now, the States, the United States I'm talking about, right. calms down when Dr. Fauci he speaks. You'll notice they, they always put him, they'll, they'll have Dr. Fauci speak yeah. because he's not an alarmist, but he's factual. Okay. Right. Whenever Dr. Fauci doesn't speak, the country gets very anxious. Yeah. That's the power of leadership. Okay. He doesn't downplay. He doesn't overplay. So when a child is anxious, now, of course, it depends. What are they anxious about? Okay. But I don't want to get into the minutia. Maybe people can ask specific questions about what 
their kids are, are anxious about. But generally, it goes like this. Can you be a factual with your children, depending on their ages and stages? Number two, listen to them, hear them, see them for who they are. Don't coach them. Don't tell them what to do. Just listen to them. Just the act of listening to someone when they're anxious and saying, you know, an old line Dr. Bowen used to say to his patients when they would say, and I lost my farm and, and my wife died of cancer last year and, and my, my kids smoking too much drugs. And he would say, he would say something in his Tennessee drawl. He would look at them and he would nod and he would say, I hear you. <laughs> and, and that was repeated by many people who trained with Dr. Bowen. He didn't use it as a technique. What he's saying is, I hear you. Yeah, no, I hear you. It's, it's, I recognize that. Yeah, no, that, that, that's a lot. Not do this, don't do that. Because if you do that with your kids, they're going to pick up. It's your anxiety now being transferred back onto them if you start coaching them and telling them what to think and do and this. So you listen and then you respond factually. So a, a, an example, I'm just going to give you a personal example in our life, okay? The other day, uh, two days ago, our eldest came up to us and said, what happens if I get coronavirus? Right. My, my child has CPT2. We called this metabolic specialist. We emailed them uh, sick kids before all this really sort of took off. And they said to us, there'll be a bed and he will be admitted. And people with CPT2 are more prone to some complications. They don't know. When we spoke to our son, we more or less told him that without getting into the details of what complications are, because we don't know. So the answer was this. Um, we, spoke to, we spoke to Dr. Michal at SickKids. Uh, she said this, there'll be a bed, but right now we're self-isolating, we're washing our hands, mm -hmm. we're distancing. Da, da, da. And the conversation, Ellie, was all of two minutes. It hasn't been brought up again. He hasn't asked us about it again. And you know, you could tell your kids, he hasn't been anxious about it. And right. then we will course correct if something changes. Okay. So it, it, we've learned this though, over the years with him, with his own metabolic condition to be factual, to be honest, but not right. to get into the minutiae and the details. And then, and then for Elise and I to regulate our own anxiety between us when the kids are sleeping, because we are supposed to hopefully be a little bit wiser and have better strategies to deal with our own anxiety. And so far that's working for us. Every parent has to come up with their own thing. But again, listen, be factual. That's it. And if you don't know, it's okay to say, I don't, you know, I don't know what's going to happen to the, like, let's say you have a 15 year old. They're talking about a world recession, mom, like a world recession. What are we going to, you know, you know what? I don't know. I've never been through one. But, you know, we'll figure it out. Human beings are really smart, which, by the way, we are. We've been through a hell of a lot, human beings, over the past 5,000 years. Okay. Um, one little tip, by the way, Ellie, that I just want to share here. I can't help yeah, it. My please. family therapy hat. I think, it's, I think it's very, very important if there are grandparents who are alive to uh, speak and tell and share stories in the great tradition of elders sharing stories with younger people wow. about what they've been through and crises they've experienced. It's very different than reading it in a book to hear grandma or grandpa share with their grandchildren. You know, when we were, when we lived through the cold war, you don't remember the cold war, but we were really scared and this is what worked for me. And this is what didn't work for me. And this is what I've learned. It's right. very, very powerful for kids to hear that they come from that DNA stock. Don't speak to the grandparent that was going to say, it was hell. It was hell. <laughs> Don't speak to that grandparent. <laughs> speak to but the other grandparent. To look for elders in your community, in your neighborhood, and like people that you're connected with, aunts or uncles or grandparents. Or, But I love what you're saying because I think that idea that 
perspective and context are really what's what's needed to to clarify that for both ourselves and for our kids. I remember when I was at Walmart the other day, standing in line, and the line it was going to take an hour to get yeah. through the line. And yeah. but I really was blown away. Nobody was yelling or complaining or saying anything. It was just like, okay, I'm going to get what I need. It's going to take an hour. But the context allowed everybody to behave differently. It, mm -hmm. People were holding in mind. It's like this because people are getting sick. And so to be a complainer or a yeller in this moment just is, a, is not the right way to be. So I think I mean, you know, that context helps. It's not everywhere. And I think that um, we have to appreciate that uh, um, uh, when anxiety goes up in society, it, it, it will, for some people, it, it, it will create this cascading uh, primordial fear. And yep. then you know, people will get into punching matches in line because they're, they think they're fighting for their kids for food yep. or, or whatever the case may be. We have to all, I think it's, you know, we, we really have to be a lot more forgiving about, you know, what we can do as human beings during times of a pandemic crisis. Uh, everything from our presidents and prime ministers to physicians, what they know and what they don't know. Right. Um, and, and, and I would say- And the schools. And, and the schools. And I would say 99.9% .9 of people are doing the best they can with a very unknown thing. And, right. and what we see going forward over the next few weeks, um, uh, it's very easy to say, I would have or I would have done that, or what's wrong with that person? Right. Um, we have never dealt with anything like this at the scale before. So everybody has to just, you know, take a deep breath and we will get to the other side of this thing. One last thing I have to say, sorry, Ellie, I, I, we'll, we'll keep going, yeah, but just please. one last thing. Yeah. One of the things that I find is an antidote to anxiety. If you're gonna do the online thing, and I do, by the way, find speakers who are also giving the good news. So I'm going to share a name. Okay. Don't shoot the messenger. I don't care if you don't like this guy. Okay. So don't send me emails. Okay. I, I, I'm not going to read them. We're but, not going to come to your house at this point. So that's, that's right. Actually, you're not going to come to my house. Um, so there, uh, the, the guy who draws a Dilbert, uh, Scott Adams, um, he draws that cartoon Dilbert. Um, mm -hmm. So he has a podcast that I find has been very helpful. Uh, it's a little political, so you can ignore that. But what he's been doing is he's been um, uh, crowdsourcing all of the um, Silicon Valley firms who are developing vaccines and medicines. And he's been, he's been tweeting about, uh, he spends most of his tweets on, on uh, what he calls a golden age is being ushered in because of this crisis. I find my mood immediately lifts when I hear about uh, Bayer, uh, the the uh, medicine company Bayer, who's donating um, uh, a, a malaria pill that they claim that we don't know yet, but they claim is having an unbelievable impact on the symptoms of coronavirus. It's a small sample. But you know what? You can read about the doom or you can read about that. And I find that it lifts my spirit. You know, And so I'm not saying to listen to Scott Adams. I'm saying you need to balance out the CNN um, lockdown, uh, global recession, and try to find someone else who's also talking about when we're done with this thing, right. we are going to see, th we are going to see, we are going to see a gathering of the brightest minds around the world. This has never happened before in world wars in the countries you have the brightest minds working, but they're fighting against each other. So they're not sharing information. If you go on to Twitter right now, you see epidemiologists sharing information with the best programmers in Silicon Valley with Elon Musk. I mean, it's, 
it's mind blowing. Now, right. what this is all going to mean for us and our children down the road, I don't know. We're in for a few tough weeks though. It's not gonna happen right away. But mm -hmm. when we get to the other side, there's gonna be innovations in medicine, in education, in business that would have never been possible without this crucible. So yeah, it's scary right now, but humanity is rising to a level that, that really, it, it brings tears to my eyes when I see this on Twitter, these people sharing things and what's just around the bend because we don't know yet, right. but you can sort of taste it. It's in the air. Something amazing is going to happen around the bend when this is all said and done. At least that's what I've been reading. It's important to find that stuff too. And I like that as, as you know, it, it's always about balance, you know, make sure you're informed, but also make sure you're inspired because mm -hmm. if you can do, do both of those things, then you can do the same thing for your kids also um, as parents. And then you could, and by the way, then you share that with your kids because right. while they're saying uh, how many, you know, how many people died in Italy today or something, well, you know, Italy's struggling, but you know, this medicine, they just came up with another pill. They're thinking, and you share that with your kids, watch their mood, just observe it. Right. And you'll see, you'll see their anxiety. It's almost like in real time, just go down. And it's really quite fascinating. So you right. gotta, you gotta balance it out. And I, this isn't a psychological trick. The good news is out there. It's real. It's not, it's not a, um, it's not a reverse psychological trick. There is actually amazing things that are happening out there too. Right. Yeah. I think that's a, it's a good balancing point in terms of not just informing ourselves of the worst case scenarios, but informing ourselves about the possibilities as well. Can I, by the way, Ellie, can I give you a real case example? It just happened. It's really cool. And you can see it on Facebook. This is so cool. So I posted a, a few days ago about Israel and there, there, um, some innovation that's happening. And I posted yeah. an article for times of Israel. Aliza reads the article. Now, by the way, I don't understand the math, so I'm not going to explain the math because I don't get it, <laughs> but she reads the article and she go, she was at women's college hospital and she brings the article to, sorry, not at women's college hospital. She brings the article to a physician, I think in Alberta, who's a researcher and says, can we do this in Canada? What they're doing in Israel. And, and this researcher and Alberta says, absolutely, but we have to understand some math thing. On Facebook, Elisa tags her father, my father is a math professor. Within 12 minutes, he, it's on Facebook, you could see he calculates in a math formula what it would take to do some sample size to make it valid. Um, and and Elisa sent the math formula, uh, my understanding is to her colleague in Alberta, and they might use it to start, I don't know, it's not my area. <laughs> Right? They're going to do something that's, good with it. <laughs> that's incredible. Yeah. That, all, that all happened within the span of about an hour and a half. And you can actually see it in real time on Facebook because the conversation is ongoing. So right. there's a real example of just a little part of my world about how some of this stuff is uh, going down in, uh, from a positive. And it, does, it reminds me a bit of 9-11, you know, like the, during the horror of it all, we also heard about the heroes of it all. And I think that was such an important piece of processing that experience. You know, we're a little too close still to the beginning of this experience sure. to, to be there, but I think you're right to, to start to look for the good um, actively rather than just sort of waiting for it to show up, I think is a really good practice for us as parents, but also a good thing to model for our kids just in terms of life. Like you, sometimes you have to go looking for the good. You can't just think it's going to show up um, or wait for it. Right. Um, I want to open up to questions. I want to just sort of give people a chance. You can either unmute yourself um, or, and ask a question, or you can type it in the chat box if you'd rather do that. But I really just want to give people an opportunity to, if there's a particular question you have for Avram, whether it's about the topic we're speaking about or something else, if you want to just sort of chime in um, what your experience is looking like at home. 
um, we have about another 10, 15 minutes or so. So if you'd like to get your question in, that would be great. Um, just unmute yourself and then I'll see you unmute yourself and, and you can go for it. So just let us know if you have a question. Um, in the meantime, if no one's doing that, we're gonna just sort of continue what we're doing. Anyone with a question? Let me just look on Facebook if there's anybody here. Wow, we must be doing a good job of covering all the corners because <laughs> no one's asking anything yet. Or they're just listening and doing other things, which is also a possibility. Ellie, I'm gonna, I'm gonna suggest one, uh, just a, a little something else here that uh, sure. might be helpful in terms of uh, using your time um, uh, productively, but also um, as a way to capture this extremely uh, unprecedented, unique event. Um, what I've been encouraging people to do, and, um, and I, I've been journaling a long time, uh, so this is sort of, this is um, very is easy for me because I, I journal daily, uh, but um, I want you to imagine for a second, um, someone knocks on your door, Ellie, and they say to you, um, uh, Ellie, I don't know if you know this, but I found a journal from your, your great-grandfather during, from World War I. He was in the trenches. He kept a very, it's a very, very uh, factual journal. He kept every day a couple of notes from World War I. And, she, and they pass you a leather journal, and you open it up, and it's in, you know, that sort of script from World War I. And what would you do with that if someone knocked on your door today and said, from your grandfather who served on the front lines of Vichy France or whatever uh, in a trench, what would you do with that? Uh, well, first I'd wipe it down with Lysol. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but after I finished disinfecting it, <laughs> uh, look, I, I, it would be so um, special and precious to be able to read how they navigated that situation. What was that experience like? What were the thoughts? What were the feelings? Especially as a journal, like it's not a historical account, it's a personal account. And I think that would be so... Uh, important to 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 hear from someone that I'm directly connected to how they dealt with um, challenge how they were dealing with something scary. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I think for me, if someone gave me you know, when my when, when my father died, he he didn't capture, he didn't journal, he didn't write anything. I remember going through his phone uh, after the shiva. I, I went through his phone, his BlackBerry, just looking for. It was like I was on a treasure hunt for anything. When I would find a note of his, an email to someone. It just took on a heightened sense of who this man was, and and um, it 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 really was a shame he never really left any thoughts behind uh, um, uh, about his life. I would I would uh, put forward the argument that um, when we're through this thing, we God willing, we won't see something like this for a long time. We won't see something at least like this in a very long time. This is like a once in what do they say a once in a hundred years sort of event that we're going through. Right. Hopefully. I think it's important. Sorry. Hopefully, yeah. Hopefully, yeah. Um, well, if you look at our history, right? If you look at our history, um, we really don't encounter these things like pandemics. Uh, the last, pa the major pandemic this size was the Spanish flu. So we're talking about 1917, uh, 1918, 1917. Right. So what I would say, what, what we're trying to do now, I tried to get my kids to do this. They're not doing it. But um, I'm, I've changed my journaling tactics. At the end of the day, I try to write down observations um, that I'm noticing. So little things. As the store signs started going up in uh, St. Clair, I made a note of that a couple of days ago. Store signs going up about closures. Um, I made notes about my own feelings about what's happening. I, may, I, I make little notes about uh, innovations that are happening. And I've been doing this daily throughout this process. I want to capture in a personal thing. I can read online in, in two years. My kids can read online in two years about the facts. But 
But the personal account yeah, of going through sure. this pandemic is so a, I think a good use of one's time. So if your kids are old enough, um, you can either purchase for them on Amazon a nice leather journal and, and, and try to sort of uh, whet their appetite to get into the process. But, but if you're able, I think it's, it's a good exercise to uh, end the day with just some notes and observations uh, as we're going through this unprecedented uh, event. Yeah, I love that. And it also gives this feeling of my account matters, my observations. It gets you more into that observation mode than just in feeling affected by everything, which I think is such a powerful tool also. Um, there is a question that somebody posted. Um, they were saying they actually have somebody's um, son staying with them from France. It's a cousin, and they haven't um, been able to, to go back to France. And so they're trying to nav they're navigating having a 14 year old with them in their house. They have other kids, but the 14 year old isn't necessarily their son. So how do you parent in a situation like that? What, what are some of the boundaries or tips for dealing with a kid that I guess isn't necessarily your child, but clearly are, is living in your house under those auspices? Are there, would you say there's different modes for that or just treat them like one of your own kids? How do you navigate that? Well, it's sort of, a, it's a similar issue that comes up in my office when I'm working with people who remarry and they have stepchildren. Um, I think the, uh, the uh, couples um, who are in that type of a relationship get into trouble when uh, the step-parent uh, confuses their role with the other biological uh, parent's role. Um, uh, it's important to acknowledge that you're not the parent. And, um, and that you have a different role, but you still have a leadership role. It comes back to the idea of leadership. Calm, listen, be clear about the boundaries in your home. It's not very complicated. It's hard, but it's not complicated. Right. Okay? So this 14-year-old is not 25. If they were 25, they, they would be at an age and stage where they can make their own decisions about how they're going to live their life. Although even if they're living within your home, you still can set the rules and regulations of your home. Right. Um, I think that if, the, if you ever got into a tete-a-tete -tete with a 14-year-old who said, well, you're not my parent, the answer is, you're right. That's actually a fact. You're right, I am not your parent, but this is my home. <laughs> and right. so together, maybe we can come up with, with some ways to make this experience for you more pleasant, sure, but it still comes down to listen, stay calm, report factually. Right. So you're saying you can, you can set boundaries. You can say, these are the, the rules of our house and you're living in our house, but we understand, you know, we're not your parents. So, you know, I, would it help, do you think, to get this kid's parents on board remotely to sort of decide together how to parent or, or um, do you think well, I, just setting within your own home how to deal with the situation? I mean, I, I have to hear more of the particulars about why this 14-year-old is here. And uh, I don't understand the, 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 uh, the, the backdrop. Is it that they can't travel back or they hear right. uh, as respite? I think respite? they were visiting as part of like a, it, it's a cousin and they were visiting and now they're stuck here with everything that's been happening. So I think, so they're trying to navigate. I think it's just probably really challenging having a teenager in the house that isn't necessarily... Um, your teenager? Well, I mean, it depends. I, I don't know the nature of the teenager. I, some 14-year-old, look, I mean, I don't, you know, I don't know you Kira that well. She strikes me as a very mature uh, um, uh, young girl. And I got to tell you, if you Kira was in our house, we would put her to work because she seems right. like that kind of a kid. <laughs> so <laughs> I wouldn't say that all 14-year-olds are, you know, are a liability. They could be a huge asset, actually, right. uh, to help out. So I don't know who this kid is. Um, right. If it's a situation of uh, this 14-year-old was visiting Canada 
and um, they just can't get back because of travel restrictions or something. Of course, having the parents uh, um, involved, there should be, uh, my opinion, uh, daily uh, Skype calls, FaceTime calls um, uh, to connect. If there's a problem, if there's a problem, um, the 14-year-old is old enough to be part of it. You don't want to create a triangle. So what, right. I mean, okay, we're not going to get into the, the theory about triangles. What, what, you, what you don't want to do is you don't want to be speaking to the 14-year-old's parents without the 14-year-old involved. They'll pick up on the fact that on the outside, it's going to be a bad situation. Just open up the system. When, right. If there's a problem, bring in the on. parents, right. have the 14-year-old there too, and say, yeah. look, you know, we're, we're kind of stuck here. You know, the, the kid has a bomb in the basement, he's smoking pot all day, and this can't continue. And so you have, you have an open discussion about, uh, about what that is. But, right. um, but absolutely, the parents should be involved. But no, the, 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 these are not his parents uh, or her parents. And, um, and the same rules apply, Ellie, if we go to a restaurant. There are rules, there are regulations, and the manager, uh, hopefully, is the leader of that restaurant. So you can't come in and just do anything in a right. restaurant. Right. Okay. I think that's really clear. That's great. Um, okay. I, there's one other question. Um, got it. So it's somebody that's asking, like, what do you do when it's really just, if you're a single parent and it's just you with the kids, <laughs> um, you know, what are some of the, so is it different when you're, than when you're in a situation where you have both parents? Um, if you're just a single parent with all, with the kids home with you all day, um, what are some of the, is there, is there other tools that need to be employed in that situation when you don't necessarily have the same support system as having another spouse there? Yeah, look, let, let's, let's, again, we, we, we have to be very humble about what we can do as human beings. Single parenting is probably one of the most challenging, uh, um, uh, what would you call it, um, family sort of uh, situations that I have seen in 30 years of doing this work. It is very, very hard. And, and it depends on the age. If, you, if you're a single parent and your kids are 17, okay, it's challenging, but it's a very different type of challenge than if your kids are, let's say, you know, two, three, and seven, or if you have, um, or if you have a baby. Single right. parenting is hard. So what does that mean? The question remains, what is essential for you as the single parent and for your kids? So in a so single she's parenting saying She's saying they're 10, 13, and 15. And she's asking, like, how to support their anxiety while still supporting myself. Sure. Well, again, uh, I, don't know, I don't understand the question of supporting their anxiety. I don't think anyone has to be supportive of their anxiety. It is an anxious time. You know, if a 15-year-old said to me, I'm really scared. Yeah, th that seems to be an appropriate response. <laughs> you know, if, if you're looking at the world right now with all of this novel unknown and people are dying and people are getting sick, is it okay to be anxious? You're damn right it's okay to be anxious. And I think it's important for young people not to be, um, not, not to be sold a bill of goods that isn't true. It, it is. But you know what? We're going to get through this because our family is made of this kind of stock. And, and by the way, as a parent, if you don't believe it, see if you can connect with other family members and ask about crises that your family has gone through and, and look for the resources in your family. If you can't see it within yourself as a single parent, maybe you have a sibling or an aunt or an uncle you can connect with and go, I'm freaking out over here. Has this family ever been through anything? And chances are you have, and you might not know that story. The reason why that's important, Ellie, is because uh, it's our own history that that is the antidote to anxiety, much more powerful than reading Viktor Frankl. I love Viktor Frankl's book, but that's Viktor Frankl's experience. Right. Our own experience is much more powerful to regulate our own anxiety. Number two, 
if you're a single parent, you don't have another parent to pass off to. So if, you know, for example, I'm, I'm on a call with you right now. Aliza's is upstairs with the kids. I could not do this with you if I was a single parent. You know, there's just no way I could do this with you. Right. If you, you have to adjust. Parent, you, can't, you can't necessarily do the same things in the same way. Th that's right. So the questions uh, are the same. The first question I would say to a single parent is, what is essential for you? Not your kids, because you can't afford to burn out. So what that means is, what's essential for you? So the single parent says, I need to get seven, eight hours of sleep. How are we going to make that work for you? Right? Well, I got to make sure my 15 year old's in bed. How, is that essential? Is that really, really essential? Well, I don't want them surfing on Reddit all night. It might be a luxury when they're in school and when, when you have extra resources, but at this point in time, that might not be essential. You might just want to, you know, I don't see that sort of a thing right now because I need my seven, eight hours because I got three kids. Everybody has to answer that question differently. Right. The single parents of the world, and Ellie, there's a lot out there, okay? Yep. They got to lower those expectations answer the question of what is essential right now for this brief period of time. This will not go on forever. And the last thing I would say is this, Ellie, this is really important. And, and, um, and this is, this, this is going to come in the spirit of this is hard to do, but I think it's, it's necessary if you can do it. If you're a single parent and your spouse is out there somewhere, and maybe you've had some trouble in the past connecting, this might create a crucible where you might want to just work on that just a bit for the kids, you know, do it for the kids. And what I mean by that is, you swallow some of that other crap in a similar way that, you know, the U.S. has helped trying to help Iran and China. There, there, there's ill feelings there. There's ill feelings there. But when it's life and death type, type stuff, we can look past some of that. And I don't know too many parents, married or, or divorced, who don't want safety of their kids as a paramount objective. I, I, I'm not talking about the 0.001% of outliers you read in the news. So if you're a single parent and you are the one who has custody of the kids most of the time, uh, this might be a time to call, you know, your partner, your, your ex and say, you know, can, can we just talk about things? I'm really freaking out over here. And can we just strategize around some things about kids? You keep the focus on you. You try very hard not to let it become this. Well, you didn't do this five years ago. And you, it's not about five years ago. It's not about last week. This is all new. We're talking about the safety of the kids. Right. Okay? It's hard to do. It's not impossible. Look, if the Palestinians and the Israelis, some things I've been reading, are working together because they're all struggling with coronavirus, we all can do it. Okay? Right. So we all can do it. Right. Okay? Yeah, because and I think, and if you don't have, say, you know, if there isn't a spouse in the picture, then, I, then I, I also think what you said is really important. It's just really putting the mask on yourself first, like making, so, making sure that you are not in a position of burning out and not in a position of, of uh, you know, putting putting the wrong things first, and then you're basically wiped out within a, a week and a half that you can't really function. Yeah, and I would say, by the way, with a 15-year-old, with a and I would even say, I mean, I would do this with my eldest, and he's nine. Um, they're old enough to sit down and have family meetings at the end of the day. What worked? What didn't work? What could you do better? What can you do? Right. What can you do? What can you do? I'm a single mom. I'm a single dad. I can't do everything, guys. Okay, so we're all going to have to pull together here. And I think a 15-year-old can hear that at their level, at their level. Okay, so you are clear about what I'm willing to do, what I'm not willing to do. Um, any last words, Avram, you want to throw it there before we sign off? I, I could just go, go on what I'm hearing from the experts. We're going to get through this. We're going to be stronger at the other side. It's going to be a bit turbulent, but we've been doing this as human beings for a long time. We've seen quite a few crises over the past 5,000 years. 
um, and um, and uh, be open to new innovations, new things, new ways of things that we can't quite see yet. It's going to be a scary time, but I think at the end of this, there's going to be some uh, uh, incredible things around around the band. I want to wish everyone good health. And if anybody has any questions, they can email me too. And, and I, I have the time. I will get back to you. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank you everybody for joining. And uh, we'll see you all next week. Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom.